Hi, this is Jason Thompson from Vast Robot Armies, and you're listening to my chapter as the story grows. What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? I am being realistic. As the story grows. You got this, Travis. Make him wait for it. Boom. The most epic odyssey in the last couple of weeks. You better not. You better not let me down. Right, well, I'll this try not like, to. I'll do my best. This is built up so much, yes. you know. Well, I'm Canadian. <laughs> I feel obligated to be polite and just try to work really hard. <laughs> what? Explain that to me. Why is that an ongoing thing? It's not a real thing. Like, That's the funny thing about this. Is like, you know, like I have well half the band's American, and I got a bunch of family that are from like Rochester, New York, and so I've spent a lot of time in the states, and like. Every time I go down there, especially mm-hmm. with like Alan and Eric, oh my god, it's 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 the best thing. They're all just like, your accent's so cute and you're so nice, and like they can't view me in any sort of like hostile way. <laughs> like no, there's no threat coming from me whatsoever. So I kind of play it up, and it's like it's a very common thing. Like even when I go on trips to the states, they're just like, you know, you're just so nice. I'm like, Fuck, you should come up here. They're full of assholes up in Canada. <laughs> like it's just. Sure. Like we're not exempt from that at all. I, I I don't know. It seems like um, that's really an ongoing thing, and I never understood. I never understood it. I mean, it's totally unfounded. It's just all yeah. myth, really. They show they show like a like a like a still shot of like a, I don't know Edmonton and Vancouver playing. Yeah. On the ice, and it's like every every player has a bubble over their head. Sorry, sorry, excuse me. Yeah, sorry, yeah pardon sorry. me. Like, Do you want this here? Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. here. Would you like to punt? Your turn to score. Like, why why is that such an ingrained thing? Oh, that Canadians are so nice that they're pushovers. It's funny because the story thing does exist actually. And I'll like go to work with people. Like, I'll go and take the subway to work in Toronto, and I'll get to work, and I'll be like, you know, I can't even help myself from doing it. It's like it's almost like it's punctuation the word story. Like you're just walking around and you just barely graze someone. You know they're fine. They're gonna go on with their day and they're gonna be fine. And they're gonna think about. It. But there you are going. Oh, I'm sorry. And they're like, Oh, I'm sorry. And you just like. Is that something? Is that something that you do when you think the person isn't Canadian, or do you do it to each other? No, it, it doesn't matter who they are. I could meet a Martian, and I'm probably gonna say sorry for like you know potentially taking their seat. I'll take the seat. <laughs> like the thing is, we'll still do the dick move, but okay. we'll apologize for it. So. I don't know. It's kind of like the whole A thing. Like it exists, and it's just like it's like it's muscle memory for people. So Canadians, deep down, you're telling me deep, you have like deep-seated 
like passive aggressive. Yeah. You're going to exactly. steal my seat and then say sorry, and deep down you're like, fuck off, dude, I'm not it's, sorry. That's very spot on of you, actually. That's exactly what it is. We're very passive aggressive oh, wow. people. Huh. Yeah. Well, I learned something. Today. And I'm sorry about that, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I applaud your sarcasm. Thank you. Back to the next chapter of As the Story Grows. My name is Trav. Talking to Jason Thompson from Vast Robot Armies. Jason, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm really good. Thanks for having me. Don't let me down. Don't let <laughs> I me down. I was just singing that down. song today. Dude, I've been trying to talk to you for like a month. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. Well, phone lines don't work so well up here in my country. <laughs> down here, neither. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I meant. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy. You're one of my random emails that I just, one morning, my alarm goes off at 5.30 a.m. every day so I can get up and go to my job, and I always lay there for 10 or 15 minutes and let my eyes become unfoggy and stare at my phone, and I kind of <laughs> yawn and stretch and scratch my ass, and yep. there's an email from this dude named Jason going, man, I really appreciated your conversation with Andrew Elsner. That was awesome. Thanks for, thanks for kind of reaching into the underground and talking about bands that nobody else is really talking about i was like really dad wow thanks dude and um your email address came from vast robot armies and i was like that's like a rad email address what's that all about <laughs> you were like that's the name of my band oh you're a musician cool blah 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 we got to talking next thing i know this cat's working with life and times i'm like oh my god i gotta talk to this guy so i went and listened <laughs> to vast robot armies killer band i really enjoy it man so i'm, I'm happy to have you on the show this was cool I'm really stoked to be here, and I, I reiterate what I said about the Andrew interview. That was that was awesome. Like I've some of the guys in the band know Andrew as well, and I actually reached out to Andrew after I talked to you, just saying I thought it was a really cool. Like you did a really great job on that interview. You know, oh quite, man, thank you so really much. Really well thought out, and it you know it just went by really fast. It was really cool, and he, you don't he gave hear me a bunch of inside bands. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He gave me a bunch of inside, speaking of baseball, he gave me a bunch of inside baseball on what really happened, but then he was like, I don't want that aired. Oh, so really? the reason he told me some of the stuff is so that I could tread carefully. He gave me kind of a map of the minefield. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. So I kind of danced around a couple topics because I already knew the answer, and I, I was like, I want to get as close as I can to it without it going off and me losing a leg. <laughs> you <Fair> know? <laughs> and um, he was he was an absolute angel about it. He was so cool. And then afterwards he was like, thanks so much for letting me talk. Cause nobody else asked him. He didn't, he didn't get one, not one outlet reached out to him. Really? Yeah. Horse shit. Isn't it? Dude That's was in tours for six horse. years. Oh yeah. He's just so talented. Like everything he's done, like he was the fill in bass player and train dodge for a tour. Like they came up to Hamilton, Ontario and 
the old guitarist in the band I was in called Sometimes Why, and I went down and saw them, and it was like two months prior to that, we were in St. Louis, and we were playing at the record bar in Jimmy's place, and Andrew did sound for us. Okay. And so we, and we went and saw Train Dodge, because that's when The Truth came out, and we fucking loved that record. Like, it's a classic in my mind. And I guess their bass player was sick or something happened. He couldn't do the tour. So Andrew just went out and filled in on bass. And it's like, holy shit, you play bass too? Like, Dude. And then you just watch all the Riddle of Steel stuff. And it's, it's insane. He so. could have he he ended his resume at Riddle of Steel. I still would have went after him as a guest. Oh, yeah. It's He's, Riddle of Steel, 1985. Yeah. Dude, yeah. classic record. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> we could nerd out on him all the time. I've had him on the show three times. Nice. Like he's just be- he just became a friend. Like we like we've like, hey man, what's going on? You know, one of those guys. You know. Yeah, yeah. I but can anyway, totally appreciate we're, that. We're not here to talk about Andrew Elsner because he he's he's so handsome. My laptop can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to talk about vast robot armies, and um, I'm not really one to chase down like you have a new release, so it's mm-hmm. time to do the album cycle thing. But coincidentally, you have a new release, and it's called <laughs> Dinner Party, and uh. You sent it to me, and it's killer record, man. It's really good. Like Thanks, this is man. when I keep telling you're welcome. I mean, I mean, I mean that not just because you're on the show. I mean, right. like I, I'm constantly. If you listen to my show, I'm constantly talking about how like I'm a total imposter. I'm barely metal. I like metal bands and that kind of thing. But this is like right up my alley. And I hear Life of Times in it. I hear I'm going to throw this out there. Okay. And I hope you don't reach to the laptop and slap me. I'm, I'm going to. I always try to make an attempt on what box to put people in. Sure. No. Go I'm going to go, I hear Archers of Loaf and I hear Hum in there. Like, I especially heard Hum in the song Sailing Shores. There's no pretty awesome i would like it's funny because like all the bands that really shaped me as far as like the latter stages of and what's really ended up you know vast robot armies kind of sounding like or fitting into mm-hmm. hum totally fits in there but i was never like i'm a hum fan mm-hmm. but i'd never truth be told entirely got it like I, I dug it and i had it all and i was into it but it's like some of my friends were like you know that's where it all started kind of thing right because mm. My ground floor was Shiner, for sure. Like, that's... Like, really, my ground floor was, like, Jane's Addiction. That got me out of listening to, like, Rat, basically, in the 80s and stuff like that. And Jane's Addiction was my gateway drug. And then... Well, after lo- your- dude, dude, Jason, Jason, Jason. Love will find a way. You just got to give it time. <laughs> All right, are we going to get into the Saigon kick? Is that what we're going to do? Oh, man, love's that on the way. second record was awesome. The Lizard's a wicked record. Lizard. Yeah. I can see it in your eyes, man. Yeah. 
It's it's a song. <laughs> hey man, I'm not above the like nice cheesy ballads. I'll do I'll do I'll do hair metal all night. I'll 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 go toe to toe with people in hair metal bands. I, I think we should have another call where we just talk about hair metal. <laughs> I think oh. we could do a deep dive there. Oh oh um, you say that jokingly, but I'm kind of not fooling around. I'm kind of oh. thinking about doing some off the off the beaten path podcasts for uh, some some of my Patreon people. So uh, that would be kind of fun. Maybe I'll I'd think be, about that. I'd be right into that. I can let me let me write that down. Jason right. is as big of a closet hair metal fan as I am. So oh, I know it all, dude. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I can go. Did you ever go see the guitarist from Trickster's cover band? Oh man. Look Step down, son. Throwing down. down hard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Holy shit. Shiner to Trickster in like a minute. That's good. Yeah, yeah there That's we go. That's really good. See? It's already shaping up to be a great interview. The street cred has been burst. We just burned that bridge, didn't we? Yikes. I won't even drop the nugget that Alan's a secret hair metal fan, too. I can't. Uh, if, if, there's any, oh, if there's any way for me to talk to Alan from Life and Times about hair metal... I might retire the podcast. I might hang it on a hook after that episode. That would be killer. <laughs> well, he knows. We have a game. We'll text each other like every like month or so, just going like name this, and it's like the answer's like Jakey Lee or something like that. Oh, dude, can I play, play that game? Dude, take my number and throw me in the thread. I want to play. I want to play. That's there should fun. be like a fantasy metal league. That's what there should be. Oh, this is. I'm. I know. I know who to talk to about this. <laughs> I'm I drafted get on Juan this. Crucier. I'm going to be a great league. <laughs> <laughs> I will give you Eric Brittingham <laughs> and Bobby Dahl. What strap locks did that guy have to pull off his moves? Oh, my God. Like, every song. Spin the right. bass. Spin the bass. It's beyond strap locks at that point. It's just they have to be welded or soldered. There oh, had yeah, to be some sort of machinery. Yeah, yeah of course. Right. <laughs> This is fun. Where the hell were we? We were talking about Hum a minute ago. Sorry, everybody. The Archers of Loaf thing. That's a really, really interesting thing. Um, okay. I dig Archers of Loaf. Um, if it's in there, it's it's not an intentional sort of thing. Not that anything I do in that sense is intentional, although I'm sure I know there's times when I've been like, oh, I love this riff. What can I do to make it kind of similar to that? Or at least how can I get that sort of theme going kind of thing. But Archers of Loaf, I, like, I don't know their catalog enough to really kind of get into that, but I know, like, I've seen them a couple times okay. years and years and years ago. And I guess I can see, someone recently told me, I remind them of Jason Lowenstein, which was kind of interesting, the guy from Sebado. Oh, okay. Um, I, I didn't know who that was. He's like a solo artist now. Like, he, he was in Sebado, and then now he just kind of, basically makes like records in his living room and plays everything kind of thing so i could kind of okay. see that connection from like when i started this whole project and i was doing everything by myself mm -hmm. which was fun for like two minutes and then i was just like this is a lot of work this sucks hmm. so yeah yeah but that's cool okay well i just threw it out there for people that never even heard of vast robot armies because i'm one of those people until your email i seriously thought vast robot armies was just like a like a funny email address that you came up with or something right <laughs> but uh you said you came up with it from uh it's from futurama right yeah it's from futurama um it's two things okay so years ago when <laughs> oh, when boy. people were diving into da dating sites and like kind of like trying to hook up before tinders and stuff like that like you know like post lava life before tinder wow. go online try to figure out your date for saturday night and 
there was this one girl that had her username as Vast Robot Armies, and I'm like, that's fucking cool. And so I messaged her saying, so even if you never email me back, and I'm probably expecting you don't because I don't think we match up well, I'm stealing your username from my next band name. And then never heard from her. And then about two months later, I was starting the whole genesis of this project, and I was like, where did she come from? Come up with that name? And I Googled it, and I was like, I better check and see that there's no proprietary rights. And then... I saw that it came from the quote of Futurama, and then I remembered that. I'm like, oh, right. So that's really how I got the name, to be honest. Okay. She still, yeah. thank you for your transparency. Yeah. She still never came after you? She never contacted no, you? No, it's fine. It all worked out for the best. Okay. All right. Yeah, because yeah, you, you said, you mentioned to me that you're like, you're like a new dad and you have a baby now and everything. So apparently yes. you, didn't, you didn't marry the vast robot armies lady. No, I didn't know. Shortly after that, I met a girl... Um, that lived across the park from my house conveniently <laughs> enough and uh, had like a whirlwind relationship and culminated in our first child this year. So, yeah. And here we go. All right, cool. Yeah. What's the baby's name? Bennett. Bennett. I'm going to write that down Bennett so I don't forget Thompson. it. Bennett Thompson. Congratulations, yeah. man. Thank you. How old's Bennett? He's uh, four and a half, five months almost. Uh, no wonder you were such a bitch to get a hold of. So he's at the phase where he's just kind of holding his head up a bit and shrieking at the television every time you turn it on. <laughs> Did he, uh, as he, is he sleeping through the night yet? Yeah, it's for the most part. Like, he's getting, like, a six-hour block. So oh, okay. I'm happy with that.
you just did an interview recently. I, I, I saw it on I saw it on the Twitters, and um, I just kind of want to piggyback off a couple of the of the things that you that you mentioned in the interview because yeah. I think I think for the interview you can you can handwrite you know you can you can type out an answer, but I think you know when you, when the person's actually speaking about what happened, I think it's a little bit more interesting. But I think the idea for the name dinner party came up literally at a dinner party about kind of tongue-in-cheek making fun of music that you play at dinner parties. Yes, you, very much you, so. You turn around and make it the name of your band's next album. I thought that was kind of a funny story. Can you can you take us can you take us to that dinner party, Jason? I can. It was uh it was like four or five people. That was so was... cheesy. I apologize. That was so cheesy. That sounded That's radio. A... We uh, can edit that out. That's great. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was like four or five people, and it was a dinner party in the sense of it was like summer, and we're just drinking wine, and there's no food kind of dinner party. And, <laughs> okay. Uh, drinking, with fr- drinking with friends, but it doesn't sound as cool for an album title. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So we're All sitting right. there, and it was like months before, like I had just booked a studio time to go down to Chicago and arranged all that stuff, and I knew... There, I felt like we were one song short, and I'd kind of been sticking with me all day. And we're at this party that was at my house, and my friend of my girlfriend's was just talking about certain music, and I can't remember what band we're talking about, but it was like, you know, definitely on the heavier end of the scale. And she's like, well, you know, I wouldn't call it dinner music. And for some reason, that just really resonated with me. I was just like, wow, dinner music, that's a good song title. Oh my God, where's my guitar? Um, What does that mean to me? Because I started thinking about things like, you know, when you're a kid and you're like, before you're a teenager, you'd be riding around on your bikes in your suburban neighborhoods. And, you know, as long as you got home by dinner, everything was cool. Mm. And I grew up in an era where you'd go for family dinners and someone would put music on and it'd always be like the sound of like the 70s, like soft rock kind of thing. And yeah, sure. it was like, no one listens to music at dinner anymore. And then luckily enough, like the riff just kind of blasted out of me. I'm like, holy shit, where was that? And why can't it always be this easy? <laughs> Like, it's just so annoying when that happens. Like, I'm grateful, but at the same time, it's like, man, I'll labor over weeks over songs sometimes. It's like changing the little parts, but that one, it was just like, flew through it, and I kind of knew something was there, so oh, I quickly... Man. circling circling back to the hair metal thing, th- that, this was your cherry pie. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh. a good analogy, exactly. <laughs> so gross. So gross that we both know that. Yes. So I sent it over to john and it was tough because it was one of those ones where like all the music was done and i'm like oh i want to sing this one i want to sing this one but mm-hmm. in all honesty and i'll tell everyone that will ever listen john is by far the stronger singer of our band um okay so i sent it to him and i was kind of like you know don't fuck this up don't fuck this up and he never dies <laughs> and he sent it back and i'm like oh my god that's so hooky it's like it's like it's you know I guess for an analogy, sometimes when you make your own music, you, well, you often you can't listen to it, right? Um, and it's almost what most artists are striving for, the ability to like be able to listen to their own music intermixed with other songs on a radio or something like that and not have it kind of just seem abrupt. Mm. And uh, this was one of those ones where it's like, oh, I could listen to this and be just like a fan of it kind of thing. And when John sent it back, because it wasn't me singing, it was like his interpretation of what he got from it. I was like, holy shit, this is great. And he really kind of nailed the whole theme because there's a certain playfulness to it all that kind of needed to be kind of captured. And he did a great job of it. So nice. It turned out well. You physically got up, 
So when, when I when I originally thought you were sitting at a dinner party, I pictured like you and your girlfriend actually dress a little nicer than normal, and you guys were drinking like mint juleps instead of beer. And I thought you like <laughs> like you were like dinner party donk, and you had like that. uh Oh, I gotta go write something right well, now. It, moment. It was you, got, you excused yourself from the table. You said I like, literally I went to the second floor. Like I just left. Like it was kind of like in the midst of conversation. I was like, I gotta go. <laughs> And I basically ghosted the room, went upstairs. It was done in about 18 minutes. I actually whipped out my phone, and I have, like, a GarageBand app on it. And I plugged in, and I, like, I put together the verse and the chorus with a couple lead parts and then came, came back downstairs and just started drinking, like, in celebration. And, you know, the dinner party turned into just party party. Uh, no typical. one said anything. Like, you're just like, oh, he just, he's just going to disappear for a bit. He'll typical, be back. Typical musician. There he goes. Yeah. The art carried him upstairs into his garage That's band. That's right, yeah. I really played the art card hard there. I'm an artist. It's coming from inside me. I think it was uh, mm, Mind and Rolling Stone magazine that, that was the one that unearthed that Keith Richards woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning after a bender, probably high as a kite or whatever, yeah. and he had the riff for satisfaction stuck in his head. Oh wow! So so he rolled over and he hit a tape recorder. Remember when you had to push two buttons down for play yep. and record? Yep. He hit a play. He hit a tape recorder and he played don don na na na. So he didn't forget it, but then he passed out again. So he said the original tape has the riff like eight or nine times, and then him snoring for forty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, amazing. Do what you got to do, man. Right? Did you ever read about or hear about how uh, Mercury started the beginning composition of Bohemian Rhapsody? No. So, in in what I can imagine, this huge ornate bedroom of Mercury's, he actually had a piano, like keyboard installed as his headboard of his bed, and he shut up. He was ambidextrous, and he was also forgetting the word where you're you're double jointed in his wrists, so he could actually lie in his bed, reach up behind himself where a headboard would be, and actually play his piano. And because his wrist bent the way they did, he could play and just like still play as a normal Shut human being. Shut up! Is and that apparently true? that's how he started coming up with that piano line. Yeah, that's why. So he re, where he plays that he plays the one. He'd be part sitting in bed going, "Oh, I got the going through my head." Yeah. Oh my so god! That whole opening, yeah. Uh, those are the two coolest rock and roll stories I think I've ever heard. Yeah, I want that bed. <laughs> Sounds awesome.
said you were going to Chicago where you felt like you were one song short, but you originally found your your band is spread out throughout like multiple different cities. It's actually between two different countries and everything. Why, why don't you wind us back to like the beginning of Vast Robot Armies? How do you hook up with people this far away? Um, the the gift of the internet. So the first <laughs> record I did, um, Good Night Myopia, I went down to Chicago and I'd actually worked with Alan and Eric on my last band's record, Sometimes Why. So before that, we had gone down to Kansas and recorded in their old um, rehearsal space, which was this huge warehouse space. It was actually awesome for drum sounds, and that's where they did Tragic Boogie. So we were a proper band from Canada at that point. We flew down and stayed there and did that record. And after that band dissolved, I reached out to Alan, because at that point we'd you know, become friends and gotten to the point where we were just talking kind of thing. And I said, I, I have this new thing, and I want to come and record it, but I don't have a band. And then I went to Cleveland and caught them at a show there, and there's, they said, why don't you just uh, come down and we'll be your band? I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll do that. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so about six months Fine, I'll that, settle for life and times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I flew down and stayed at Eric's place with Eric. And then we just, over the course of eight days, we recorded the first record. Now, um, Alan did some vocals. Eric actually played bass on half the record. So anything that has a good bass line, it's, it's, re- it's Eric's song. <laughs> okay. um, and then I played, because I'm a drummer primarily, and I played everything else. And it was a lot of fun. Like, I always kind of wanted to know if I could do it. Like, I knew I could demo the songs by myself, but I wanted to mm-hmm. see if I could play, you know, all the instruments and it didn't sound like dog shit. Gotcha. And it's pretty good record. But shortly after I released it, I was just like, you know, I really miss the dynamics of bands. And, you know, I'm old enough now where it's like, I'm happy to give ideas up and let them be interpreted in different ways. Because, you know, I feel like it's it's only going to better. And if it doesn't, it'll come out in the wash, right? Like, when you're in your 20s and you're in a band, you get kind of like possessive about ideas and kind of inflexible, but mm. I was long past that. So I was online on Facebook, and a friend of mine from Kansas said, you should check out this band called Sundiver. So I did immediately, and I was like, holy shit, the singer can really sing. And it was just, it's a really cool band, and I, you know, I recommend you check them out. Okay. And in the band, there's John Agee and my friend Joseph Wells. And so on a whim, because everything I've done in a lot of ways as far as any sort of music stuff has just started with me reaching out to people online. Like the email between you and I is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. And I said, Hey, I really dig your band. And he got back to me right away going, I can't believe that you're reaching out to me. I was just listening to your record because my drummer, Nick Organ, just said I should check out this band, Bass Robot Armies. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And we talked for like maybe 10, 15 minutes. And I kind of jokingly, but really not jokingly at all said, you know, we should like, 
combine up and try to like write this next record of mine. And he's like, I'd be into that. So I'm like, okay, well, fuck, you said you're into it. So I just <laughs> sent him like three demos of the early stuff for um, the album Little Creatures. And he started working on it. He said, I'd like to get my friend Joe involved. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> and it just developed from there. Like we just, I wrote like about 12 songs. I would send them down. They'd kind of massage them around. John sang on a couple of those ones. And it was a lot more done than dinner music. So then we met up. They actually drove from Kansas to meet me um, four months before we went to Chicago together because they, they, you know, we thought we should meet. And they came up to Toronto and we rehearsed for like five days because we thought we should see what it's like. And we actually caught the first failure reunion show or like that tour that was happening up okay. here. And uh, I totally screwed them out of a chance of meeting failure. <laughs> Way to go. never let me down. Yeah. Apparently they went to this bar and I'm like, I don't want to go to that bar. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and they know, the, they know the failure sound, man. They're like, he said they're going to be there. I'm like, they're not going to be there. And they were there all night and had a great night, so I totally screwed them out of that, which I'm sorry, guys. Um, there you go, apologizing so, again, damn Canadians. Yeah, I can't help it. And so then we went down to Chicago right during the Toronto, uh, or sorry, right during the Kansas City uh, first World Series run, or at least their efforts to get past the Giants into the World Series. Gotcha, okay. And so that was awesome because we recorded, and I didn't want to play drums on this. This is how Chris got involved. So I was telling Alan, going, you know what, I really don't want to play drums, and he was texting me back saying, listen, like, great drummer makes everything sound that much better. He's like, why don't you just ask Chris to do it? And I'm like, you think he would? He's like, well, ask him. So he did. And Chris was right into it. So I was like, holy shit, that's amazing. Because Chris is like probably my favorite drummer in the world. Good choice. And so we went went down early, drove up from Kansas because they wanted me to come down and hang out for a weekend. And then went to Chicago and rehearsed for like literally a day and a half. And then just banged out the record over the course of seven, eight days. Mm -hmm. And so this time, you know, we have a process in place. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to get records out because we don't tour because it's it's almost impossible with the, all our schedules and like the logistics of it and the cost of it would be just you know insane although they all want to do it and I'm like okay well I would do some you know pointed sort of one-off shows kind of thing if we can get our schedules together kind of thing and right. I kind of leave it with them I'm like you guys organize it like I, I write all the songs <laughs> I think I do enough like you guys book <laughs> some shows I'll be there kind of thing um, so we'll see what happens there but with this one, basically, I just had a bunch of songs again, said, are you guys ready to do it again? They're like, yeah. And so it was a little more fine-tuned, and I didn't want, like, I really wanted it to be more of a real band kind of thing, so I didn't really finish the song things. Like, I'd always send them, like, skeleton outlines and, like, you know, an A, B, C part kind of thing, mm -hmm. and I wanted there to be a complete division of vocals, kind of like, you know, when you'd listen to, like, a Kiss album or a Super Tramp album from the 70s, and there would always be an even distribution between the two singers kind of thing. Oh, okay. So, you know, that's how I ended up sending John what turned out to be the best songs on the record. <laughs> Should annoys me to no end. It's like, all right, you got all the singles. <laughs> Rick. Right. And uh, But they're singles because he sang on them, to be, truth be told. Um, and mm -hmm. so we went down last summer, and which was awesome, because I've never actually recorded a record in the summer. It was kind of nice, because your, your downtime is uh, spent out at some whiskey bar or something like that, like downtown Chicago, which was great. Okay, sure. Yeah. So basically that's how we become what we are at this point. Becomes a part of us. 
Speaking of not being able to tour, um, the whole like four month old baby and all that and everything, what do you do for a living? How do you make money? Um, right now I work as a web communications specialist at our giant provincial lottery. So basically anything that has to do with like web marketing and branding filters through me. Um, to be perfectly honest, I, like sometimes people ask me what I do and I'm like, I'm not sure. Like I know I answer phones. <laughs> And I tell people to do stuff, and then I answer emails <laughs> and tell other different people to do stuff. I don't really feel like I do anything, but then I started thinking existentially, going, you know, aside from, like, doctors and construction workers, I don't know if anyone really does anything anymore. Like, with the age of computers, if you really think about it, like, we do stuff. We're exhausted at the end of the day. I'm not taking anything away from anybody in that regard, but, you know, the days of, like, fucking, like, building homes, it's, like, far and few between, or, like, you know, a hundred years ago, like work meant something. Now it's like really tired from that meeting that took three hours and that, you know, of course catered. It's like, what? <laughs> what are we talking about here? Uh, you're talking to a guy in the service industry that still handwrites tickets. So nice. I, I, I feel you, man. So I, you work. Like, oh, I, I work, dude. I got dirt yeah, under my fingernails. Go. Yeah, definitely. I actually have a dream because I'm going to be moving. To, I'd like to be a ski lift operator and work in a music store. I'd like to kind of circle back to my youth. Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't yeah. think either of those pay very well, but I mean, I, it, it doesn't seem to matter. No matter how much money you make, nobody has any, so well, whatever. Just it, right? Yeah. Yep, exactly. was a huge Shiner fan I reached out to him right when Shiner broke up and he started Life and Times and it was funny I sent him this long email saying you know your music matters it means a lot to people 
I woke up this morning thinking you must be bummed out because your band is kind of, you know, dissolved and probably looking at like an abyss ahead of you and maybe not in those words that didn't use that negative kind of language in that regard but it was, it was basically saying you know it matters and people are listening to all over the places and I'm one of those people and he got back to me like right away and it was funny because the tone of his email suggested he thought it was like some kid kind of like going I'm a huge fan right. but it was like you know I'm probably like maybe four years younger than Alan so <laughs> <laughs> just reading his response going dude I'm an old guy like <laughs> I don't know how I came across in that email but I'm an old guy I'm sorry and right. so after that, we kind of would keep in touch periodically, like not really anything of any substance. And after um, Life and Time, well, during Life and Time's tour of the Magician EP, they came up to Toronto and played at a place called the Horseshoe. And I got my band sometimes Y on the bill, and then had the band stay at my house. And we just kind of stayed up all night, kind of just having a good old time, and kind of got to know each other. Mm-hmm. And after that, I was just like, you know one day you're going to produce a record of mine. Like, that's just what's going to happen. And years later, <laughs> I saw him at another show up here, and I was just like, so I'm ready. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. We're all out. We're outfitted for it, so come down. And that's basically what's happened. And now we're like, you know, nine years past that point. So mm-hmm. now instead of like me being like a total geek, like I remember the first time we went to record the Sometimes Why record, he and I were walking to a store, and I was like, I get to ask you three nerd questions for the next week. Like, that's that's the quote. I get to ask you, like, I heard that the tape broke in the song uh, Simple Truth when you guys were recording with Jay Robbins. Is that true? <laughs> like, those kinds of questions are like, what effect did Josh use when he did uh, the song Giant's Chair? What, like what did that. he say? Did, did the tape break? The tape did break, yeah. Tape, did it? Apparently the tape broke when they were recording at um, uh, Talbot Studio. And mm-hmm. uh, Paul who's a really great engineer managed to seam it together they didn't tell me exactly where we kind of just filtered off into the conversation to somewhere else kind of thing but it did and like i've i've listened that song trying to figure out where it could have broken because that song's amazing i love that tune so yeah so that's kind of like what it was like when i was recording the sometimes why record i was just in super awe but now like by Mm -hmm. dinner music it's like we walk into the room just tell each other to go fuck each other it's like fuck off do this, do that, like in a joking kind of way sort of scenario. So it's like there's a lot more comfort just because, you know, we spent a lot of time together doing these records. So, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of full circle, too, because I, when I went to see when I went to see Hum and uh, when I went to see Hum and Failure on this most recent tour, uh, yeah. the, drummer, the drummer from Shiner was playing with Hum. Jason Gherkin, yeah. Jason Gurk, that's his yeah. name. Yeah, he yeah. played on he played on a couple other albums of some other bands that I'm familiar with. So he's another one of my favorite drummers. He's awesome. Small world, man. Gets around. Yeah. You mentioned uh, in the interview <clears throat> that uh, you mentioned that you 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 basically called your fan base like loyal and informed, and I thought that was kind of poignant. Like like uh, I, I have I have mutual friends that were constantly talking about how like. You know, like like Blabbermouth has twenty seven thousand followers on Twitter. Yeah, and they and they put they put a link up there and it, it gets twelve clicks. You know. Yeah. So I guess that means we should buy another twenty seven thousand and have fifty four thousand followers. So we get twenty four clicks. Like yeah. Like it's it's really it's really more of a 
dude, preach to the people who showed up for church that week. You know what I mean? And you seem to have a smaller but loyal and informed fan base. And those are your words. I really, I really wanted to kind of pry those thoughts open and unpack those. What, what did you mean when you said that? Well, first of all, I think you hit the nail on the head with the, the whole blabbermouth thing. I think that's a great analogy. Um, it was funny. When I got that question, I thought, first, I was like, fuck, that's a great question. Fuck, I don't want to answer that question. <laughs> it's just like, because mm. it's true. We don't have a big following. And, you know, I'll get into conversations with John, and he'll be like, you know, I wish we had more likes. And it's just like, you don't understand the mechanics of Facebook. And when you go to some of these bands that have, like, you know, I don't want to go into the 30,000 mark, but, like, even bands, like, you know aren't big that have 5,000 likes, it's like, they've bought over a third of those. They don't know they've bought it. But they have. Like, if you look at the people that have liked your page, if you do some of those campaigns, yeah. it's like some guy that doesn't have a fucking computer somehow liked your band. It's like, what? Yeah. Like, you look at their that, profiles. Like, dude, you haven't posted anything in three years. Like, That's the worst part is not only did they buy them, they don't even know they bought them. This is such an automated – this is – I mean, how many times have people said um, – that they like thumbs up and they're interested in coming to a vast robot army show. And, and of those, of those 150 people that said they were interested four came. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, like really well, what, 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 what is the point in, in having those statistics? Then? <laughs> well, and that's why I won't do those campaigns anymore. Like I'll do a, I'll do a sponsored thing probably when we release a record, just because you have to, if you want to get it onto your, whatever your 500 people that like your band's pages. Cause sometimes they don't even show up there now because mm-hmm. the way the algorithm works. Yep. But, what basically I was kind of going going for with that interview question was the 500 people that like us, like I kind of know who a large percentage of them are. Not like they're friends of mine, but like, you know, I've done my homework and gone like when people like my page, I'll probably go and flip over to them to see who they are because you're just curious. And, you know, not that I'm like a narcissist or anything, but you're just like, I think it's really cool. Someone take even like 15 seconds from their day. Mm-hmm. They had to have listened to something or looked at something saying, ah, oh, that's good enough for this button click. And it's like, well, you know what? In turn, I can go back and check you out and think, you know, that's that's cool. I appreciate that. Right that on. moment that you've carved out of your, your life at that period of time. And even though it's maybe small and insignificant, to me it's not. And more often than not, like a lot of these people, they were fa- they're fans of a lot of the bands that I dig kind of thing. Yep. And, you know, all of a sudden when I see like, you know, like the bass player from Train Dodge digs us, or the guy, the one of the guys in Pelican's a fan of ours, you know, and killer. Uh, uh, Jordan Zadarowski from Blink of the Star, who mastered this latest record, is a fan of ours, and I've gotten to talking to him, kind of thing. Like that, it mm-hmm. means a lot. And then you see like the fans, and you'll start conversations with them. Like I, you know, have conversations with a lot of the people that like Vast Robot Armies because it's like more often than not, you're going to get a lot of information back from them, not that pertains to your band so much as like, hey, have you checked this out? Or, hey, what do you think of this? Or, you know, Donald Trump, you know, did this or whatever. You just get into any sort of conversation and say, <laughs> you know what, that just fills my day up. That's awesome. Like, mm-hmm. I'm getting informed on some level. And so I feel like they're they're a lot more in touch than like me or us, sorry, having like 3,000 likes and like, you know, 2,500 of them are people that I don't even think exist in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. Exactly. And so, yeah. And then you can see, like, when you friend these people, like, because half the time I'll friend them on my own page, too. And it's like, 
they'll show up in your news feed and you'll see, okay, cool. This is this person's this person's rad, this person's crazy, this person's <laughs> this, awesome, this person's you know? real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's uh, I can't it blows my mind how many people don't understand that. Yeah, I know. It's it's a bummer because it wasn't always like that. When Facebook or MySpace back in the day started out, like it it worked the way it should have worked and it was genuine. But then of course, you know, you get into how do we make money as a corporation. So I can see yeah. why they did it. It's just a real bummer. Yeah, it is. about elsewhere in new york but you scored a film yeah i'm fascinated by this because i don't i don't understand what scoring a film even i don't even know where you start thinking about how to score a film so how'd you fall into that you're describing my day one with it um so (laughs) i have a good friend up here who makes movies a guy named jeff nesker and he at the time years ago was kind of in that sort of in between moments where he'd done a bunch of short sort of um, shorts, basically, movies. And uh, he was kind of stalling, not stalling out, because if he listens to this, he's going to be like, well, why'd you say stalling out? Um, he was kind of in between writing his first feature film. And I think a friend of his from New York was like, why don't you come down here and just bring a camera and we'll put together a script, we'll get some actors and just kind of do a punk rock, like not literally punk rock, but like as far as like the you know, energy of it, a punk the rock movie where it. it's like what we have. And so he did that. And, you know, I really applaud it. He disappeared for like six weeks. He went and lived on the guy's couch. They found actors. They put together a story. And he came back and he needed, you know, he needed his resources to help out because he's working on like a shoestring budget. And I've always kind of wanted to get into scoring. Like, I grew up listening to like, like Roger Moore era James Bond movies, hmm. um, Jaws, like anything, like John Carpenter scores. Like when I'd watch movies and I'd hear like just really cool compositional or score shit, 
it would resonate with me. Like I would, I would go out and seek it out and actually have it like on, like, like I have midnight cowboy on my playlist because it's an awesome song, you know, and it's from a right. movie in that sense. How old are um, you? Uh, I'm 45. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. That fits. Yeah. So from all of that, like, you know, it was just like, I, I want to do that. And also, you know, I hate my day job. I'm trying to figure out ways to merge my love of music and making music into something that's a bit more of like a pay a bill kind of thing, or at least branch off into different creative avenues that I wouldn't normally get from like writing music for like Bass Robot Armies. Cause like it forces you to completely think about things differently. Cause you know, when I'm demoing a record, it's like, I'll just layer shit on. Cause it's like, that's gotta be cool kind of thing. And for the most part it is, but doing film compositions it's like the littlest things like it's like you take two notes and you basically put a pitch shift on it and you're you're kind of following what's happening on the screen Mm. and there's a real art form to it so when jeff offered me that opportunity i was like all right i'm gonna totally do this now i didn't necessarily do those things i was describing because i had a bunch of music already like i planted a bunch of vast robot army stuff in there and then i had a bunch of friends throughout the states that planted some of their songs in but there was little scenes within the movies where i had to sit there and kind of write like a versy guitar part and then kind of mess around with it with no vocal and make it kind of just pass through like someone walking through a a new york subway and there's like someone busking so you couldn't use what he was playing you had to basically make new music so it fit what he was doing so Hmm. it was really cool and i was glad that jeff gave me that opportunity and you know it just uh it's been in a bunch of film festivals and it's done really well for him so it's it's great and i was lucky to get that chance how, how did you hook up with him again he's just a friend of mine he uh met him years ago we were uh going through a breakup at the same time and i worked with his sister and we went mm-hmm. to the same party and we we met and i was like i was in like the worst stage because i got dumped like a week <laughs> prior to going to that party so i was all like that shitty dumped guy kind of thing going oh it yeah. sucks chicks suck blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then i get to the backseat of his car and she's like this is my brother jeff and he's like chicks suck and i'm like me too and then we just got hammered at this house party not looking at girls and nice. he's like i love him to death he's super kind of neurotic and uptight sometimes so i had to go and go into the house to go get the beers from the fridge because we're sitting in this huge property in the back in some veranda and like we've been drinking and i was stoned too and so was he so he was all paranoid and didn't want to go in i'm just like okay. fuck i don't even know you and i gotta go do this come on that's and fantastic. So that, that's that's what our relationship's still like it's like hey can you do this hey what are those chips you're eating i'm like you have your own chips he's like yeah but they're not mine yours are different i'm like jesus all right here's here's a here's the super gross part this reminds me of like when jimmy fallon or Conan O'Brien or whatever, they have like seven or eight minutes with a huge star. And they're like, so recently you were telling me backstage that uh, you just had a mishap at the mall and you know it's bullshit and it's totally contrived and everything like that. So I'm going to try that. Is that that cool? I'm I'm going to try it. Okay. So so you're from Canada, right? You have to have some crazy Will Sasso stories, right? (laughs) (laughs) You're in luck. I do. (laughs) You're very much. I'm sorry, I dropped my pen. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right. So we were texting and we were talking about Canada, and I was laughing about this one particular thing Will Sasso did. 
And and Jason threw out there like, oh, dude, I got trashed with him one night years ago. And I was like, oh, my God, please tell me that story. You have the floor, sir. probably 12 um every summer up here we have so like you guys have mtv we have much music and it's mm. the same sort of thing and that's back when they did actually play videos and stuff mm. so we have the much music video awards so basically okay. they shut down a section of the city and they have like they fly in like celebrities and they'll present awards that mean nothing to nobody and then after that you all go to like nightclubs after, and there's like certain ones that the stars go to. Now I have a bunch of friends um, in better bands than mine, and also that work in the film industry, so they knew to go to the specific place. So this year that we went for, or that year that we went, uh, Will Sasso was there. I knew that. Um, a bunch of other bands were there, like. Canadian band called the Tea Party were there, and Shane Corson from the Toronto Maple Leafs was there. <laughs> and so we go, and it's in a really cool place called the, the Courthouse, and I'm standing up with a buddy of mine at the time at the bar ordering drinks, and I look over my shoulder at the guy kind of like hovering over me to get in, try to get beers, and I'm as I'm in the mid-sentence of like, just fucking wait your turn, I turn and look as I'm saying that, and it's Will Sasso, and then he apologizes to me, which throws me off. And I'm like, oh my God, you're Will Sasso. And it's like, I don't know how many times Will Sasso's gotten that at that point in his career. Because <laughs> it was just like, I'm like, oh my God, I'll make out with you, Will Sasso. This like, is before, <laughs> this is after Mad TV, but before the Lemon Vine bullshit. Yes. Yeah, it was okay. like, it was all of his Steven Seagal imitations <laughs> were right there. Like as soon as I saw him and like, I didn't even wait. I didn't even, I wasn't doing the play Canadian thing. I just was like blurted out to him. Going, you got to do it. <laughs> do Seagal right now. Do your Terminator. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. That's amazing. And so he was cool, but he grabbed his drinks. He's like, all right, all right. And he did it. And so he threw them back and he did his kind of things. And then he kind of was like, he's going to ghost off and do something else, which I was fine with. And so we kind of go off and we're a group of like 10 people. And, this club, like most places you go to, they'll always have like a VIP room for the stars and stuff like that that want to get away from like the nonsense that's happening. Mm-hmm. So this place only had one room and no one kind of knew about it. And my friend who works in film, she knew that this room was being vacant. So we were like, hey, let's go take over that room. And as we're doing that, um, two of the girls that we're with, this guy kind of just leans over them and just starts blurring, going, where are you girls from? He's got, like, two beers in both hands. And he's, like, kind of beer drinker guy that, like, he tilts back, like, 90 degrees. And the, you can see the bottom of the beer can facing skyward. Like, he did, that's how he takes his sips kind of thing. Got it. And he's, like, hovering over them, slobbering. And I look at him, and I go, holy fuck, that's Shane Corson of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he's, like, trying to pick up these girls. And it's just, like, <laughs> like Shane Corson just got suspended from the team because he apparently slept with one of the other players' wives. And I'm just like, oh, my God. He's like, where are you guys going? Can I come? 
and we're like, no, Shane, no, you can't come. Yikes. So we ditched, we ditched Shane Corson. We go into the room and we're kind of just hanging out there and doing our thing. And the door opens and it's Jeff Martin from the Tea Party. And the Tea Party is kind of like, was sort of like a big Canadian bandish kind of thing. Okay. Like, it, they ripped off the whole doors thing. And none of us were impressed because none of us were fans. We're just like, what the fuck, man? He's like, hey, can I hang out in this room? And you could tell he was pissed because he felt he should have gotten the preferential treatment. And we kind of gave him like 10 seconds. He's like, yeah, yeah, you can stay here. Just sit at the end of the couch. And he was with his girlfriend. His girlfriend kind of had to lean off the couch because there wasn't enough room because we took it all up. And he's, he's not, we're not talking to him at all, which he's not used to. <laughs> and so as he's sitting there and we're like passing joints around, having drinks, just having a great old time. And he goes, I got to ask, like, how did you guys get this room? And we just kind of look at him like, don't worry about it, Jeff. Just be glad you're here. And as that happens, the door opens, and then Will Sasso's there. And we all just go, Will Sasso! And we, like, part the couch and kind of nudge Jeff off the couch and his girlfriend. It's like, oh, sit right here in the middle of us, Will. And so Will just hung out with us for, like, an hour after that, just kind of, like, chatting with us and just doing the whole thing. It was awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Did you make him do more impressions? No. Nah, no, at that point, it's like, at that point, it was like, ah, okay, well, I don't want to the last one. Did you tell him about the Maple Leafs guy, at least? Oh, yeah. I was telling everyone about that. That was ridiculous. Nice. That's great. So dinner party is available on uh, dinner party is available on Bandcamp. Yep, it'll be available on June thirtieth, so this Friday actually. Yep. Well, this uh, will be out. This will be out slightly after that, so it's available right now. Cool. And uh, what else? What else you wanna? What else you wanna cover about dinner party? Um, looking at getting it uh, printed on vinyl in the fall. So right on. I'll uh, I'll be doing some. Uh, some promotions with that so i'll let people know when that happens because i've always wanted a record on vinyl but my biggest challenge with that is the fact that the songs are too long to fit all on one record so if you have any ideas how i can do that i'm all ears for that any ideas uh, like as far as do i do double lp do i just have only eight songs on it out of the 10 that sort of thing you have the record you let me know what could i cut actually uh, you should tell me you actually after this calls over Spend a week with it and let me know what I could cut. Because I could probably fit about 41 minutes of music on a record. So, so one more song's got to go off that, off what you have. List, tell me, it's, yeah, no, no pressure. Give me, give me one song that you want to go out on that you're pretty sure you're not going to cut from the record. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll go out with that. Um, let's, let's go out with Sailing it's good. Um, I want to go out with Sailing Stones. Okay. Because I think it Oh my is, God, I said Sailing Shores before because I can't read my own handwriting. I'm a dick. Sailing that's Stones. A, that's all right. Sorry. There's no other way out after 
it's one of the songs that just stuck with me after we recorded it. Um, John did an amazing job on it. It's just, it's just got a great energy and vibe. And Alan and Eric mixed the shit out of it, so it sounds amazing. So, but we never pushed it as a single as far as the lead up to the record. So, I think it deserves some sort of like promotion in that regard. What's it about? Um, it's John actually sent me the lyric and song title idea. Um, he was doing some Wikipedia deep dives. I don't know how he landed on this, but sailing stones are actually a thing. So in the desert, and I can't remember how, but we were reading about it, stones will move. And over the course of like, you know, 20, 30 years, they'll move a considerable distance, like through the shifting of sands, through wind, and just through an unexplained kind of energy, if not magnetic motion that drags them like, you couldn't see it with the naked eye. But they will move, and they've tracked stones throughout the desert that have moved around. Hmm. And can't quite explain beyond the things I just said right now um, how they actually get to the distances from their start point. And I thought that was a really cool concept. So John wrote it based off of that. That's but he based it around an analogy. Creepy. Yeah, and he based it around uh, like an analogy of a relationship and the drifting apart kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, J- Jason. Thanks for the time, man. I want to make sure all the links are in here that anybody would need to check this out. And um, you know, this isn't too far removed from Life and Times. And you know, I mentioned Archers and Loaf and Hum before and everything. Uh, check it out, man. Listen to th- listen to the clips that I'm putting in here and go pay attention to this guy, man. He's doing some he's doing some fantastic stuff. And thanks so much for reaching out. I'm glad you made it to the show. Thank you, Todd. Appreciate yeah, it a lot. to ask you to record your intro (laughs) (laughs) okay go ahead nice and clear as the story grows is a part of lavira productions high five follow me on twitter and facebook at as the story grows and visit the site at as the story grows.com make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss anything Visit the Bandcamp link in the notes of this show for free cover songs, some free tunes, and merch. If you like what you heard and would like to help, there's a Patreon link on every episode. Or you can look for the dollar sign on the website for one-time donations. If you can't afford to donate, that's totally okay. Tell a friend, retweet me, and give me a good rating on iTunes. Send your guest requests and any feedback for the show to asthestorygrows at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening today.
We love you. Take care. Bye-bye.